It is now time for Ant and Nick to press play. Welcome to Ant and Nick. No! Oh. Welcome to Lockdown Britain. Oh yeah. <laughs> this is the Lockdown Podcast. I'm Nick Bowden. Are you going to introduce yourself? No. No, oh, okay. <laughs> For the benefit of the tape, 2020's taken a turn. Global pandemic. Yeah. I, I would say it's perhaps the worst year I've ever lived. Yeah. <laughs> and I've had some bad years. <laughs> Me and Ant are socially distancing to record this. Yeah. 90 miles apart for safety reasons. So nothing's changed, basically. (laughs) I'm in Sheffield. You're in Corby. Miles apart. Safely distanced. And it's a very sad and desperate time we're in at the moment. And Mm. I'm glad we're back with a fourth episode of the Ant and Nick Press Play pod. Yeah. um, To bring some sunshine to people's Mm. lives in this miserable time. To be honest. So to take your mind off it all, we've got another episode of the hit cult 1990s sci-fi drama, Crime Traveller. But first, guess what? We've only gone and got fan mail. No way. Well, I say fan mail. Mail. Well, I say mail. Comments. (laughs) Are they good comments? Yeah, let's see for yourself. They're from Instagram, these. Uh, The first message comes from Bookworm Neil. Okay. Who says, I remember watching this show. Michael French. <laughs> I only remember an episode when somebody tried to get the lottery results, but it was against the rules of time travel, so the numbers weren't read slash written correctly. Spoilers. Thanks for that. Yeah, spoilers. <sighs> this is in reference to episode seven, the lottery experiment. Mm, looking forward to watching that. Can't say too much about it, but it is a good one. So stay tuned. That should be out in about 2025. So, yeah, thanks, Neil, for your comment. It was indeed Michael French. Yes. So, uh, second one is from The Rich Goodwin. Yes, indeed, you heard me correctly. The actual one. The Rich Goodwin, he says, Hi. Hi, Rich. Hello, Rich. Uh, I really enjoyed this. Will you be doing the rest of the series? Hmm? No. No, cancelled. Appreciate you lost most of it. It's a touchy subject there, Rich. Yes. <laughs> we did indeed lose 99% of it. They should definitely remake this show. Agreed. We'll discuss ideas about reboots another time. He says, I'm currently re-watching with the kids who love it. Always nice to have a podcast to accompany. Mm. I mean, I'm glad to hear it. I mean, obviously, he's sitting there with his kids. Maybe we have to keep the swearing to a minimum. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Oops. But that's nice, isn't it? Because it is, you know, it was a family tea time show wasn't it really in the 90s mm. there's funny bits they probably like morris don't they <laughs> and nikki yeah i did apologize already to uh rich that we've done all the series but we're just a bit slow with editing unfortunately you'd think being in lockdown and staying at home we would actually get more of these done mm. nah. i hope they're not waiting for the next episode of the podcast before they carry on with the series get the series done enjoy it watch it over and over again and also apologies again for not getting many out quickly but um they are definitely coming we've recorded we're editing it's all happening 
And I think it's the editing process. A, a lot goes into that, Nick. I mean, uh, that's no small thing that you're doing there when you are putting it together. They're fantastically done. So, you know, I mean, it takes, cool. cool. this takes time. Sometimes I'm sat there editing and just people will just come out onto the street and just applaud. <laughs> so thanks everyone for the applause. Yeah. And thank you to um, Rich and Neil for getting in touch. Always nice. It's weird to think that that strangers are listening to this, really, isn't it? Mm. But that's the modern world. Yeah, so we are on to episode four. And what's the title? It's a long title, isn't it? It's... Uh... The Revenge of the Load of Old Bollocks. <laughs> Sorry, kids. <laughs> oh, God. The Revenge of the Chronology Protection Hypothesis. Or T-R-O-T-C-P-H for short. Broadcast on the 22nd of March, 1997. I don't know where the revenge comes into this, the revenge part of the name. It's, it's an odd one. I mean, bless him. I like Anthony Horowitz. I presume he came up with these titles. Mm. He doesn't seem very good at making interesting or consistent titles. Very strange. Maybe it wasn't his decision. No. Uh, so we open in space. But it's not really space, it's the backdrop for Holly's presentation about time. We cannot change the past. There are deterministic webs that stitch up the past and the present. The most obvious example is the man who travels back in time and kills his grandmother. If he did so, he wouldn't have existed in the first place. This, of course, is a paradox. Time, therefore, has to protect the past. This is what Stephen Hawking described in his Chronology Protection Hypothesis. Past events must happen as they have happened. We may not always like it, but unless we learn to accept it, the very notion of time travel will remain forever out of our reach. She's at the Institute of Time. Yeah, a bit boring. I mean, if you're into that, I'm sure it's all very fascinating. Um, It doesn't seem... Fascinating. <laughs> or it does not. You see this a lot where people are ending uh, and they go, and that is why I believe that blah, 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 and then clap, 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 without any actual detail of what they're talking about. Yeah, this, she mutters something about how time can't be changed, blah, de, blah, mm. blah, de, blah. Yeah, which we know because she's banged on about it since episode one. Every second. For some reason, she's dressed as a Victorian schoolboy. Yeah. <laughs> um, not sure what that's all about. I think she looks quite nice in this. Okay. I, I mean, if you're into Victorian kink. It's... <laughs> She's got a very nice kind of dark blue shirt, sure. blouse or whatever. Mm-hmm. She's got a jacket, nice fitted jacket, and then this sort of ribbon tie, mm. I think, that sort comes of, down. So she looks a little bit like Doctor Who. Interesting. Yes. She looks like she's cosplaying as Doctor Who. As Paul McGann. Well, I was thinking more William Hartnell, but yeah, I guess they're interchangeable. Oh, yeah. But... One ripped off the other. So, yeah, she's talking about this uh, hypothesis that Stephen Hawking has mentioned. Mm-hmm. Do you know what? I should have looked this up, but I just could not be bothered. Yeah, I looked it up. Um, I was bothered. He mm-hmm. called it the chronology protection conjecture. Right. Um, Which actually would have been easier to say as a title. Laws of physics prevent time travel on all but sub-microscopic scales. Okay. Um, basically saying... You can't do it. Uh, I'll see if I can find a, a little clip of him talking about it and I might add it in there. As long as he's brief. <laughs> I doubt Stephen Hawking is going to be as brief as Holly's speech. Yeah, it seems to end with the opening statement. 
It's a shame he's not still alive. I would be fascinated to know what he thinks of Crime Traveller. Uh, <laughs> In particular, this episode, the mentioning of him. I mean, if the series had carried on, who knows? Maybe Holly one day would have bumped into him. Yeah, maybe. Um, Guest star. So she looks nice. She's talking rubbish, basically. But in the audience, we see Professor Bernstein. Bernstein bears. He's a professor. He's very posh. He's a classic old professor, crazy face and hair and bow tie. He leans over and talks to the person next to him, and I was trying to see what he said, but his lips just sort of flap about. Time. He probably just said, I need to go toilet. <laughs> Is she finishing yet? I need a pee. I like her blue shirt. Reminds <laughs> me of me as a schoolboy. <laughs> Professor Bernstein comes up to Holly afterwards and says, Great speech. Mm-hmm. Knows about her father's work. I'm glad you're carrying on your father's work. Must be a bit annoying for her, considering her dad's the one that always seems to get mentioned and is no more about than her. Yeah. So, yeah, Professor Bernstein agrees about the immutability of time and uh, says that time travel will never happen. It's impossible. Actually, it sounded like Holly was saying that as well in her speech. Yeah, I think that's what the conjecture is all about. Mm. But I I thought it was more about that you couldn't change anything, which we know Holly goes on about all the time. Yeah. Um, So I I don't really know. I've gained nothing um, from her speech. (laughs) We then see... The television, uh, really old-style television CRT. There's a news report going on. Of course, it's all hypothetical. Despite your father's remarkable work, time travel will never actually be achieved. If you say so, Professor Bernstein. Uh, yes, yes. Shooting yes. in the Albemarle yes. Arcade. We go live to our reporter, Chris Wimbledon. Miss Turner. Excuse me, can you turn that up? And behind me I can see paramedics rushing him to intensive care. Slade is currently at St. David's where he is awaiting major surgery. His assailant has been identified as John Crowley, a known criminal with several convictions for violent assault and armed robbery. Police have not yet issued a statement, but we anticipate receiving one within the next few hours. So, it's on the channel News. News Channel. There's a lot of this in this episode, but I'll get to it point by point. Uh, But yeah, this channel's called News, and we see a big close-up of Jeff Slade. Yeah, he's been shot. Yeah, he's been wheeled out Um, on a stretcher. Unconscious, it seems. We get a lot of plot points here as he's being wheeled out. He's been shot by a gunman, and they give the name Crowley. What's his first name? John. John Crowley. Holly, obviously, is quite shocked that he's been shot. I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest. <laughs> no, it's only a matter of time. <laughs> Jeff's been taken to St. David's Hospital, mm. St. David Wicks's Hospital. So Holly runs straight out. Bye, Professor Bernstein. Bye, everyone. She doesn't even say that now. Nah, she's gone. Bye. Enjoy time. If only she'd invested more effort into teleportation. <laughs> she could have been there quicker, couldn't she? Or bulletproof vests. Now, we know it's called St. David's Hospital, but when we see it, it just says hospital. So this is, again, news. Hospital. Like in episode one, station. Anyway, she's at the hospital. She's added a hat to her outfit, making her look even more like William Hartnell. Yeah, she's going straight to the receptionist. There's a detective, Slade. He was shot by a man called Crowley. Now, he's been brought here. Are you a relative? No, I'm a friend. How is he? What's his name again? Slade. Jeff Slade. He's still in trauma, I'm afraid. When was he shot? I'm sorry? When did Crowley shoot him? What was the exact time? It 
was six o'clock. Exactly six o'clock. Yes, madam. Now, I'm a bit annoyed about this because I spent a lot of time pausing this. Mm-hmm. And the receptionist gets his details up on the screen. I thought, here we go. This will be good. We get all information about Jeff. So I paused it, but it doesn't really tell you anything. It says Jeff Slade, and then it just says um, that he's on life support. He's in intensive care. Uh, he works for the police department. He was admitted at 6.58 or something like that. We use the term works for the police department very loosely. It says like gunshot wound. Things we know already. Mm. I wanted his address or his birthday or something. Next of kin. Or maybe it'll be like a little Easter egg. You know what I mean? Like a little blinking and you'll miss it. Yeah, it would have been. little in-joke or reference or something. But nothing. Nothing. No, nothing we don't know. Although, to say it's barely on screen, it's like one frames worth thought or something. The fact that they typed it all in. Because they knew in 2019, yeah. we'd be looking at it. Oh, you'd think, wouldn't you? We'll get to that. <laughs> okay. Um. So, she finds out when he was shot, what's happened, the time. 6 p.m. 6pm. And I think she's already thinking here, um, you know, rather than being logical, which she normally is, I think she's already thinking, what can I do? How can I save Jeff? Mm. Um, Which isn't like Holly, really. I think she's let her emotions get to her a little bit here. Yes. She's obviously asking because she's trying to work out how much time she's got. So then she runs off again. Instead of going to maybe visit Jeff. Nah. Are you all right, Jack? Maybe speak to him. She runs off again and back to... Sundown Court, where she runs into our best friend, Danny. Yeah, Danny's back. He wasn't there last week. No, he'd been missed. And he's doing a bit of vacuuming in his little corridor. Mm -hmm. I think about him a lot. And I think all his scenes, pretty much, are in that corridor. Very lonely for him. Watching them run back and forth up a corridor, (laughs) basically. Yeah, I mean... From stuff I've read in interviews with him at the time, he, I think he's been very professional and very courteous when he says he enjoyed it, he had a good time. Yeah. Um, well, I bet it was a right laugh. Last episode was the only one he's not in, but it was definitely noticeable by his absence, I think. Mm, indeed. Holly? I can't talk to you now, Danny, I'm sorry. But you can't talk to me, you just did. Did I? Yeah, you came in just now. Hey, how did you do that? Nice carpet, Danny. The only time we see Danny is when they're going to the time machine and out of it again. I mean, that might be the only time he sees them as well. Sees them twice a day in the wrong order and then just sits in his little cubby hole, takes his pills. Thinks he's gone mental. I've just... haven't... what? I mean, he must think Holly's got some sort of um, personality issue. Yeah. Well, her and Jeff. Every time he sees them, they're in a different mood, running around one minute in a rush, one minute not in a rush, happy, sad. He must think, God, what a pair of knobs. <laughs> I'm glad we're getting to the time travel bit. Mm-hmm. Good, because the last uh, one we did, it took ages oh, to yeah. get any sort of time travel in. Yeah. Um, she obviously wants to go back to stop Slade getting shot, even though she knows that isn't possible. So, very odd premise here. Um, everything she stands for, yeah. she's throwing out. And to hammer the point home, just as she's setting up the machine, she glances down at her speech about how you definitely can't change time with time travel. Yes. Well-written speech, isn't it? Yes. Now, we were praising the design department for their attention to detail with Jeff's 
hospital report, which was on screen for one or two frames. Mm -hmm. This speech is on screen for about two or three seconds. And it is clearly just the bit that Holly said in her speech, pasted over and over again. Yeah, someone's control V'd it. It starts mid-sentence. It talks about Stephen Hawking about four times. Very, very strange that nobody thought about that or there wasn't... it reeks of laziness. Yeah. Um, it, it just does. And it's, it lets the episode down. Big font as well. Readable font. There was no like out of focus bit. It didn't just focus on the title of it. Really disappointing. Uh, I don't know how something like that slips through. Other than, as I say, laziness. No. 1997 was prime pausing VHS video cassettes era. Yeah. Frame by frame. People, nerds, just going over and over stuff. I know I did. Especially with Chloe and Ed in this uh, series. I definitely think there was yeah. a few frozen frames. <laughs> uh, hopefully when we get the Blu-ray uh, 4K yeah. upscaled <laughs> release, they'll edit that out. <laughs> um, and maybe this could be the commentary over the top of it. Because that's something the official DVD is missing. A commentary. Yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? Because I think there would have been a lot of contrasting views with the director and having Anthony Horowitz. I think there'd be certain people who weren't invited. Yes. On the DVD, there's a little uh, interview with Anthony Horowitz. Yeah, it's a good little interview. He can certainly talk, so he'd be brilliant, I think, for a commentary. Yeah. I don't think even he will have as much to say as we have about these episodes. (laughs) So moving forward... (laughs) Yes. So she glances at her speech, a rubbish speech. She's obviously weighing it up in her head. Well, this theory is just a theory after all. I mean, it certainly haven't been able to change anything in the previous three episodes. But No, and she's always quite adamant that it can't. If anything, every time they try, they make it worse. I suppose here it's the emotional aspect taking over. She wants to save Jeff. Mm-hmm. She has to try something. He's been shot. I'll tell you what, the time machine certainly runs a lot smoother when Jeff's not in the room. <laughs> We're straight back, perfectly. Danny's vacuum comes to life during the electrical fluctuation. Scares the crap out of him, doesn't it? Danny will think he's having a mental breakdown. The lights are going off. The vacuum's come to life. He's just seen Holly, and he thought he'd seen her go out that way, and she's coming this way. And Do you think that's why he's a bit grey before his time? He's probably only in his 20s. <laughs> so, poor Danny. They don't care about him, and they should, because he's the one keeping them in electric. Mm. But forget about Danny for the time being, because Holly's gone back to 8am that day, conveniently. But she wastes no time in heading straight to the office. Yeah, she goes to the station. And speaks to Frank. Frank's back. Who also wasn't in uh, last week. It's semi-regular Frank. Welcome back, Frank. Welcome back. So, yeah, she speaks to Frank, and she's added a a big red scarf to her outfit now. Yes, it's uh, every shot. She's just increasing in clothes. Like buckaroo. Looking even more like Doctor Who with her hat and a scarf and a bow tie. Yeah. Well, DS Sharp comes to interview room two. DS Sharp to interview room two. Frank, have you seen Slade? You just missed him. Yeah, I thought you had the day off today. Where did they go? Clifton Street. Some artist was murdered last night. Stabbed in the back or shot or something. I don't know. The chief went down with the old bunch of them. Including Slade? Nah, he was late. As usual, he followed on. All of everyone, all of the main regs, have gone to investigate the murder of an artist. 
Yeah, the artist's name is really strange, isn't it? Is yeah. it Jabara? Jabara. I think in these notes I've spelt it different every single time I've written it. Well, I've got it spelled J-B-A-R-A. Yeah, Ken Jabara. He was stabbed in the back or shot or something. Slade rolled out of bed and strolled in late. But there's no explanation given as to where he's been. Has he just got out of bed late? Has he been drinking? <laughs> Has he been parkouring? What's he been doing? Well, all of the above, I think. His time management... To say that he can actually travel through time, his time management is appalling, and we see this at other points as well. Spoilers. I think if he had charge of the machine, he would just use it to get to work on time. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or he'd use it to watch a TV program that he'd missed. ITV plus one. Yeah, then we see Ken Jabara's studio. Jeff just strolls in while everyone else is sort of doing the forensics. Ken Jabara's got a chalk outline around him. Very artistic. This is all we see of Ken Jabara, by the way. I don't even know who plays him. Face down, nameless, faceless. We will never know. There's some good one-liners coming up here in this entire scene. There is. Yeah, I mean, bad taste from Jeff, because they're all at the expense of the dead body that's right in front of him. Yeah. Found the dead body yet, Morris? I'll give you a clue. It's the one that isn't breathing. Nice of you to show up, Slade. Morning, Chief. You're late. Not as late as him. What's happened? Time of death was about... 10 o'clock last night, shot in the back of the head while he was working. Probably didn't hear anything. Any signs of forced entry? Nope. Nope, front door was locked. Garden door was open, through there. Hmm. So whoever it was could have come in from there and... Exactly. Any of these actually sell? We're talking about Ken Jabara, Slade. Don't you ever read the newspapers? Only do the crossword. I don't think he does the crossword. <laughs> If he does, he fills it in wrong. I think it's meant to be like an interesting character quirk, but it doesn't really go anywhere. No. Don't read the papers. So I've no idea what we're doing in my job as a detective. (laughs) I don't know anything about it. Who is it? Who cares? Well, let me tell you, Jeff, in the words of Grisham, he's the most exciting artist of his generation, actually. Yeah, again, we had fashion last week, Mm -hmm. which I don't particularly care about. Boy. This week, art, which is slightly more interesting, you know, I, I have more of a passing interest in art. Yeah. Not necessarily art of value, though. <laughs> well, this is another thing that happens a lot. Whenever anything's got an artist in it and the design department have to make art. Again, it's like the fashion last week. It's a little bit B-Tech, isn't it? Yeah. Just put a bit of yellow, bit of blue, bit of red. Skim the brush across and, you know. You're quite right. I mean, some of the stuff is... Is very toddler-esque on a big scale. <laughs> yeah. That's where we're at. But no, he's a exciting artist and he's actually, his paintings go for thousands. So yeah, they noticed that none of the art's stolen. I mean, these things are, are worth a lot, as Grisham's just said. None of the art's stolen. Yeah, Morris has got like a catalogue book. Yeah. With all the art in it. Morris says that it's all here, that nothing's been taken. When Jeff says, points to an empty frame and says, what about this one? What about this one? Um, oh, that's an empty frame, Slade. Yeah, very observant. But it might have had a painting in it last night. There's a brush in his hand. All right, that one isn't in here. Yet. It doesn't look like there's going to be, either. No title, no description. If you're going to look at painting, wouldn't that be the one to choose? Mm. you better move fast on this, Slade. If this gets out, it's going to be front-page news. Above the crossword. He's right. It is an empty frame. But was it always empty? Or is this a vital clue, Morris? 
I mean, Jeff is using his detective skills once again to see that clearly something has been cut out of this frame. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's pretty obvious and been taken. Yeah. So the gov says if this, uh, if this gets out, it'll be front page news yeah. above the crossword. What I want to say, I've never seen a crossword on the front page ever. No, it's a barcode you're thinking of, Christian. Um, there's a bit that I didn't notice the first time at all, but after Grisham, <laughs> after Grisham says that, she gives him a little playful tap on the cheek. Pap, pap. Yeah, put it here. She basically assaults him. Yeah. And then what I didn't see was Morris slapping his other cheek. <laughs> did you notice that? <laughs> no, I did not see that. Cheeky. <laughs> but really hard by the sounds of it. Pam, pam. <laughs> Very funny. So the person who reported the murder... Uh, was a man called Kelly, the next door neighbour. I presume that's his surname, Matthew Kelly, rather than Kelly Brook. Yeah, uh, <laughs> fantastic little scene with Jeff and Nikki, mm-hmm. who's growing on me. Wow, like herpes. Better than nothing. Oh, you are getting heavy, Kenneth. <laughs> uh, what exactly did you hear last night? Well, I've already said. I was just seeing to Hattie. She's got an ear infection. And I heard a shot. Must have been about quarter to ten. And you're sure it was a gunshot? I mean, how do you know it wasn't a a, a car backfiring? I know the sound of a shot. Ten years in the army. Came from next door. And what did you do? Well, I went in there, because that's where the phone is, and uh, called you lot. And I, I came back in here, lit a fag, and that's when I saw her. Who? She was coming out of Jabara's. She was carrying something. About, uh, well, about as big as that. I think it's nice. We're not in a mansion. We're not in a big house. We're in a very standard 90s-style council house, by the look of it. Yeah, for once. Oh, I wish I knew the actor's name. I do. His name is Brian Rawlinson. Yeah. He's fantastic in this scene. Yeah. He unfortunately passed away in 2000, Mm -hmm. not long after this. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, he's very good for this one scene. He's a very celebrated actor. Right. A lot of acting credits to his name at this point in his life. I think it shows. I think he does a really great job. For some reason, we just get a lot of backstory to say that this is his only scene. We do. So, we open up very amusingly with Kelly has got a cat. Well, he's got lots of cats. He keeps cats. Mm -hmm. And Nikki is holding another cat. (laughs) Just awkwardly. I can't claim that I spotted this, because this is from ianfarrington.wordpress.com. Okay. But one of his cats is called Kenneth. Which is funny for a cat anyway. Yeah. Um, he mentions another cat called Hattie. And on his wall, mm-hmm. behind Nicky, there's a poster of Carry On Doctor. Starring Kenneth Williams and Hattie Jakes. Oh, very interesting. So he's named his cats after Carry On characters, which is brilliant. As just a throwaway line. You can't even see the poster. I had to Google it to just check that the bit I could see was it. Yeah, so he heard a gunshot. Nikki says, oh, how do you know it's not a car backfiring? Have you ever heard a car backfire before? Yeah, uh, well, I don't know whether I've only heard it in television shows, exactly. to be honest. Well, I might have a check later to listen to them side by side. There's always that moment, like, if you're in bed and there's a loud bang outside. Or you hear a scream. Have you ever heard a scream in the night? Yes. And you sort of shuffle yeah. up to your window. Oh, was that, was that a firework? Was that a car backfiring? Was somebody being shot? Has somebody been screaming? Can I go back to bed? Or should I go and investigate? Should I do a Jeff Slade and just... <laughs> just jump out the window. Sue. Yeah, they ask, They say, oh, are you sure it's not a car backfiring? And Kelly goes, I recognise a gunshot. 
I was in the army for 10 years. We've got more backstory on this guy than Slade. Yeah, indeed. Um, there's a lot from this guy. Um, he speaks very interestingly as well. He says Jabaras, but he doesn't move his mouth for the S at all. Jabaras. I think it's testament to Brian Rawlinson. I'm just having a look now at his uh, many acting credentials. Because you mentioned the Carry On poster on the wall. Yeah. He was actually in a Carry On uh, himself. He was in Carry On Cowboy. Whoa! Um, Oh, that's weird that they put Carry On Doctor on the wall, but still. Yeah, it would have been nice if it was Carry On Cop. That's what I was thinking. I went, oh, that would have been nice if it was... uh, That's... That's so interesting. It's probably a bit late on episode four, but we probably should have made um, Actor of the Week award, shouldn't we? I think he gets Actor of the Week. Series. Actor of the Series. He was also in Carry On Cleo, Carry On Cruising. But not Carry On Doctor. Is that what we're saying? I don't think he was. I can't see Carry On Doctor. That's amazing. I wonder if that was his idea then, to call them that. Because he must have known both of those actors. He must have known Kenneth Williams and Hattie Jakes. Oh, yeah, he would have done. Very interesting. Carry On Cruising. He was a nervous steward. (laughs) but god what a lot to get out of the shortest scene in the whole episode yeah to say he's not in it much he does a fantastic job and Mm. uh, i love him brian rawlinson well done so he looked out of his window and he saw a woman carrying something Mm. about exactly the size of that painting from the empty frame so we're piecing together a story now so, we cut to outside. It's weird here. Holly's a bit like the guy in the Pet Shop Voice, West End Girls, you know, <laughs> when he's just in the background. Yeah. Just not really out of sight. Yeah. And I think Jeff would have definitely spotted her. Well, he does spot her in a minute. But Nikki fills us in a little bit about Jabara. Oh, so, I mean, I said a minute ago, he was growing on me. Yeah. Now he's falling off you. <laughs> he's falling off like a scab. Uh- <laughs> yeah, I'm... I reckon on paper, this seemed like a good idea for his character trait to just be like annoying, contrary or... Prick. <laughs> so, Jeff asks for a bit more info on Jabara and Nikki just gives him... <laughs> his Wikipedia page. Yeah, basically. Well, it'd be Encarta probably in those days. It would be Encarta, um, Jabara. Talks about abstract expressionism, informal simplicity, and bimorphic form language. <sighs> Yawnsville. The thing is, though, Jeff doesn't tell him to stop straight away. Jeff no. laughs at him, basically. Uh, but then Jeff says, well, not about his art. No one's going to kill him because they didn't like his bimorphic form language. Which they might. I think they probably would if they saw the state of some of them pictures. Yeah, exactly. Um, um Jeff wants personal details about him. Yeah. Um, oh, we're about to get personal, all right. The ex-wife. The ex-wife. Louise Jabara. He was married and divorced acrimoniously, by all accounts. Um, he was stinking rich, but mean with it. Right. What about the ex-Mrs. Jabara? Uh, oh, she owns a shop on the Westmore Road. Right. Oh, it was a woman Kelly saw. Good work, Nicky. Jeff then does see Holly. She's not doing a very good job. No, the spectre at the feast, Holly Turner. But Jeff's pleased to see her. Yeah, he just goes over and talks to her, which is normal. He he, he says to her, shouldn't you be at your conference? She lies. She says it's been cancelled. If only it had been. If only it had been. (laughs) Oh, it was cancelled because uh, my speech was just one paragraph pasted again and again. (laughs) So on a day off, (laughs) she's come... (laughs) Okay, he sort of thinks about it. Well, why? But uh, yeah, fair enough. And then just heads for Holly's flat. (laughs) Yeah, of course, because he wants to go back. Where are you going? Where do you think we're going? We're going to your flat. No, 
No, stop the car. What do you mean? Just do it. Holly. I didn't mean time travel. That's not what I meant. Well, what did you mean? How else can you help me? We go back in time, we see who pulled the trigger, and we solve the murder. No. Hang on. You cancel your day off. You turn up at the scene of the crime before you've been assigned to the case, and you come looking for me. If you don't want to use the machine, why are you here? I can't use the machine, even if I did want to. Why not? She makes up a feeble excuse that there's something wrong with some sort of part of the machine. Yeah. The gravity simulator has a malfunction in the booster circuits. Oh, really? Glad you remembered that, because I did not. <laughs> yeah, remembered it off the top of my head. I mean, it must be a bit hurtful to Holly. Jeff's straight away thinking, oh, Holly's here. Okay, yeah, we'll go back in time. That's all she's good for. Yeah, but then if your friend who has a time machine just turns up unexpectedly and says, I'll, I'll help you solve this, <laughs> then you can forgive him for <laughs> jumping to conclusions on this one. Um, she, um, yeah, she lies. Um, I think Jeff's getting a bit suspicious at this point. Yeah. She draws attention to herself. She's not a very good liar. Because she goes, no, no, turn, no, turn back. Oh, God. Oh, God. The gravity stimulator. Whereas she could have just done it straight faced. Well, no, God. Oh, I wish we could, but it's broken. So I'm sorry to say, Jeff, we'll have to turn back. Yeah, but she doesn't do that. Yeah, so they're just buddying around together now. Jeff's probably thinking, oh, poor Holly. She's got no hobbies or interests outside of <laughs> hanging around here. Aww. No friends. So they go and see Louise Jabara. Yeah, she is played by an actress um, called Paddy Navin. I keep forgetting to write down the cast in, in this. It's good to just have a little bit of background, I find. You know, a nice little scene. Fills in a lot of gaps. So he's dead. What's that got to do with me? I didn't kill him. When did you last see him? I don't know. A week ago? A month ago? Maybe a couple of weeks. These days I only get to talk to Ken through his solicitor. Oh, you're trying to come to a settlement. I'm trying to get what's rightfully mine. Ken had perfected a system of non-cooperation. I'd have got what I wanted in the end. If I hadn't starved to death in the process. Louise Jabara is not bothered. I know they divorced acrimoniously, but she was just like, Oh, he's dead, is he? Fine. Not bothered. Yeah, she's a bit busy with her flowers. Tending to her flowers. She mentions money that's rightfully hers. I think the phrase rightfully mine is maybe only ever said on TV. It's one of those phrases, isn't it, that you just don't hear in real life. Rightfully mine. What I will do, I'll try it later with my wife. (laughs) Yeah. I will (laughs) grab something at the same time as her and go, this is rightfully mine. And we'll see if the podcast happens next week. Yeah, next week will be the... (laughs) The tribute episode to the life of Aunt Belton. Frankly, mine. <laughs> so you weren't at your husband's studio last night? Ex-husband. Sorry. I told you. No. Do you have a key? To the studio? I may still have it. I don't know. Anyway, it's probably changed all the locks. Did your ex-husband have any enemies, Mrs Jabara? He certainly didn't have any friends. Was there anyone close to him? The only people close to Ken were the people who bought his work. You should talk to Brett Levinson. Who's that? Just a dealer. He was always in and out of the place. Bought everything he could lay his hands on. Do you know where we can find him? Sure. The Yellow Pages. It's got a gallery. Levinson. The Levinson Inquiry. New character introduction. Can't wait to meet Levinson. Sounds like a real great guy. So, at this point, they go to leave. Holly does a really obvious thing where she asks about Crowley. Yeah. Really obvious in front of Jeff. That gets him thinking. Jeff must be like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. Louise Jabara's never heard of him. I mean, we don't know the connection just yet. What's going on? So, they leave. Slade's very suspicious. Crowley? 
It's just a name I heard. So, what now? Um, wait in the car, I'm just going to make a phone call. As they're getting into the car, he spots the watch on Holly's arm. Very obvious. Flagging it up to camera. Yeah, exactly. Slade does what anybody would have done in 1997. Mm-hmm. Goes and uses a phone box to yeah. phone the professor, Professor Bernstein. <laughs> this is really funny. Um, I don't. Where does he get the number from? Anyway, he goes to the phone. He doesn't let on that he's seen this watch, obviously. He just goes, nips it across. And then he goes, oh yeah, hello, can I speak to Professor Bernstein? They pass him on. Yes, Professor Bernstein, this is he. Who is this speaking? Ah, I'm glad you're there. I was told you might not make it. No, I have no plans to miss the conference. What about Holly Turner? Is she there? Yes, I, I, I believe she's our next speaker. Do you wish to speak to her? No, that's fine. I'll, I'll call back. Thank you. Weird. <laughs> this is he. This is he. I might start saying that on the phone. This is he. There's a nice little shot here when Jeff asks if Holly's there. And you know what? It's the simple things in life that please me sometimes. And the fact that he just turns around and Holly's just in the background. I, I like that. Just that's kind of out of focus. He goes, yeah, she's here. In fact, he's, she's on next. She's got one page of A4 to read 14 times. And rather than Bernstein going over and going, just been a weird man on the phone asking about you. Doesn't do any of that. Just moves on. No, he goes, actually, what he says. <laughs> he passes the phone receiver back and goes, Extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, that was the extraordinary part of that conversation, Professor. Jeff, not your weird squawking. <laughs> um, so Jeff now knows that she's in two places at once, which means she's time-travelled. Yeah. Um, he's a bit of a prick here, because he knows something. I think his line is certainly a surprise, though, rather than just saying anything. So they obviously have yeah. a long car journey here that we don't see, mm-hmm. going to this cafe, which is the next scene, yeah. just in silence. Mm. We cut to a cafe. It's the same cafe, actually, from episode one, Giovanni's, but it doesn't seem to be called that anymore. It's had a rebrand. A member of staff walks by later and it says uh, Café Laville on it. So whether that's real and they just didn't get rid of it or whether that's the design department putting effort into that instead of the speech again, uh, I don't know. But yeah, Café Laville looks nice. Quite like to know where it is. Might go see if it's still a cafe. Might check it out, see if Jeff's there. Yeah, Jeff now knows something isn't right. Yeah. He lets on straight away, actually. In the previous scene, he was, like, not letting on anything. But now he's just straight out with it. Straight in there, knows she's time-travelled. And she's not very good at keeping a secret, we've discovered She is absolutely awful in this. She makes everything a million times worse. Yes. You spoke to Bernstein? Yeah. He didn't cancel and your machine isn't broken. You've time-travelled, haven't you? How did you guess? You didn't exactly make it difficult. I saw the watch. What's going on? I can't tell you. You told me you weren't going to use the machine again to solve crimes. Yes. So what's different about the death of Ken Jabara? It's not Jabara. It's you. Me? Something's going to happen to me? Yes. Well, would you mind telling me what exactly? I take it I'm not about to win the lottery. <laughs> not yet, Jeff. <laughs> That's another story. <laughs> oh. 
And then she goes on about destiny. Oh no, if I tell you this will happen and that's happened, I'll be responsible. And what if I tell you this and you do that? It's too late, Holly. You've already come back specifically to tinker with the past and try and change stuff. So you've already told him too much. After all, she's been going on to him about the laws of time. She's not setting a very good example. Um, I noticed something in this scene. I just made a little note. Michael French has small teeth like Robert Webb. So they go to, um, I think Holly calls it an arcade later. They're on a street with lots of shops. They're stood outside Sutherland Jewelers. Yep, Sutherland Jewelers. Jeff's like trying to guess what happens to him. Trying to get any kind of clue he can. Is it a heart attack? Car crash? Do I get attacked by a berserk jeweler? Because if so, I don't think we should be waiting out here. I don't know who he is. I don't understand you, Holly. If you're not going to tell me anything, why did you bother travelling back? Because I had to. Serious, isn't it? Yes, Slade. It's serious. Now, let's go and find this dealer. Do I trip over my shoelaces? Do I fall into the sun? Do I smash through a window? Do I do a roly-poly and fall on my nose? (laughs) So, a couple of shops down the road from this jeweller's is Levinson's Business. So, would you like to tell us about Levinson? Yeah, Levinson is uh, played by a gentleman called Sam Cox. Yeah. He played one of the detectives in Doctor Who in The Idiot's Lantern. Oh, yeah. I don't particularly remember him that well from that, I'm sure. I do now. He's got no beard in it in uh, Doctor Who. Yes, okay. Right, initially, I thought he was quite bad at acting. Hmm. He's just very wooden. Hmm. I mean, I don't know what your take on him is. Well, I mean, when you said that this episode contained one of the worst actors you'd ever seen, yeah, he wasn't the person I was thinking of. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Yeah, he does nothing for me. He's, well, I might watch him a- in Doctor Who later and then make a proper analysis. So, they speak to Levinson, who says that he hardly knew Jabara, really. Uh, bought some stuff from him, but it, Jabara wasn't very sociable and no, just didn't really know anything about him. Jeff asks what will happen to the cost of Jabara's art now. Yeah. And Levinson says, well, the prices will rise. Obviously. According to Jabara's catalogue, you recently paid him £90,000 for a set of three paintings. The red circles? Oh, yes. That was a couple of months ago. Do you still have them? (laughs) I wish I did. As you can see, I have nothing by Jabara now. So where are they? I sold them. It was a Saudi Arabian gentleman, a cash purchase. Is that usual? Entirely so. These days, art has itself become a form of currency and rather more reliable than the standard financial market. Yeah, it sounds it. Even though you've just said that Jabara's death will make his prices rise overnight. <laughs> Doesn't sound very reliable to me. Yeah, that sounds like madness. They're not getting anywhere with this investigation, really. No. Because everyone's sort of, A, not bothered, and B, don't really know anything about him because he's a private man. Yeah, they also ask about Crowley here, don't they? Yeah. Well, Jeff asks this time. Yeah. Holly tries to... But yeah, uh, Levinson doesn't know Crowley either. No one does. What is the connection? Where do people know this guy from? So they leave the art shop, whatever it is, and are walking away when Holly spots John Crowley. (gasps) Played by the wonderful Christopher Adamson. Very distinctive face. Yeah, his headshot looks brilliant, his actor's headshot. He was in Judge Dredd, 1995 movie. Meme Machine. No makeup required. So yeah, so they they spot him. That's him. And then they just start chasing after him, this poor guy. But they well they lose him in the crowd basically. 
there's a very nice shot of them coming to yes <laughs> to a, run into a mirror yeah a huge mirror pulled back and revealed and then he's gone Jeff asks one last time who this guy even is, and Holly just blurts it out. Oh, here she goes. Holly, come on, tell me. Who is he? He's a man who's going to shoot you. What? He's a man who's going to shoot you. Six o'clock today, you're going to get shot, and there's nothing we can do about it. Brilliant. Way to make Jeff feel good about the day ahead. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't say he's going to die, though, does she? No. Because she doesn't know, because she hasn't done any detective work. No. All this time, she could just be sitting next to his bed in intensive care and watching him get better. So she's just assumed, but also has no information to tell Slade here. So he's also assuming that he's dying. Do you know what? She doesn't even know where he was shot. It could have been he was shot in the shoulder or shot in the hand. He was shot in the centre of his brain. You know, it could be anywhere. We cut to Nicky and the Gov. Yeah. Wanting to know where Slade is. I bet that happens ten times every single day. I don't know, on the roof, jumping around again. Normally there's two Jeffs floating around and neither of them are in work. One's playing with a banana. Yeah. The other one's got a magnifying glass. <laughs> We learn something about Morris here, because Morris has a letter from Louise Jabara. Yeah, Grisham goes into her office and is just confronted by Morris already there, <laughs> looking at this letter. He reads the letter. Does he? I mean... Ken, I have written to you. I have rung you a dozen times, but you still refuse to even acknowledge I exist. You ignore my solicitor. Not the entire letter, Morris. Get to the point. Well, she threatens to kill him. Look, here and here. Um, he reads it like he can't read. Yeah, this is where we see a bit more of Morris being this absolute incompetent idiot. Yeah. With each episode, he just gets more and more stupid. He can't do his job. He misses things. He can't read in this one. But he must have been able to read to get into the police force. Yeah. Yeah, really odd. Like he's a dunce, which I think is unfair. Not needed. No. Anyway, the gov says, just get to the point. Turns out Louise Jabara has threatened to kill her ex-husband, mm-hmm. which obviously puts her being prime suspect, you would think. Well, at least, <laughs> as Grisham says, why isn't she being interviewed? Yes. Morris just goes, oh, it's, it's Jeff's job. It's Jeff's doing this one. Jeff's not around, Morris. Well, yeah, where is Jeff? So, Grisham sends Nikki and Morris instead to go to Louise's house and shop. Yep. And find Slade! Fight Slade! In the meantime, we see Holly and Jeff doing the unthinkable. Yeah. They're going to go and find Crowley. Well, they've come back to the office, and I know they need to get information about where he lives and all that kind of thing. But yes. don't go in the office. Holly's sneaking about. I'm not meant to be here. No, you're not. <laughs> There's a nice little line as Morris and Nikki walk away. Morris decides that they should do a good cop, bad cop. Or nice guy, nasty guy, as he calls it. And then delegates Nikki to be the nasty guy. <laughs> Which is a nice little touch. Nikki's not looking forward to that. Not at all. So they go, and Holly and Jeff sneak into the office to... Commandeer the MS-DOS PC to, to type in John Crowley's name, find out where he lives. Yeah, apparently there's only one in the world. Yeah, one ever. He's got a very distinctive name, John. There we are. 
John Crowley, age 35. Burglary, armed robbery, aggravated assault, GBH. He's been in and out of prison all his life. More in than out. Yeah, but he's out now. Hmm. Let's go and say hello. The most depressing part of this scene is that John Crowley is 35. I'm 35. That is very concerning. You don't look like John Crowley. Right, good. Um, <laughs> so I, I was worried. Not many people do. No, I mean, I would have said, Christopher Adamson, God bless you, but you look about 55 at least in this. He's got a very receding hairline, yeah. haven't we all? Yeah. He's got a bit of graying hair and also some very distinctive lines, very harsh lines down the sides of his face. Oh, yeah, he's absolutely chilling. So at all costs, stay away from this man, Jeff. So Jeff decides to go and see him. Yeah, it is flat. I'm surprised this man can hold down the flat. Quite a nice flat, to be honest, but they cast a knock on the door to see if he's in. Yeah. But Jeff knocks and immediately decides that he's going to do parkour slade. Oh, God, here we go. So instead of, like, battering the door in, the front door, he thinks, I know, I'll go round the back. How would you get round the back? Over the roof. (laughs) And down. Yeah. We also get a welcome return of Stuntman in a wig. Yep, my favourite man. And then he just, like, tiptoes across the roof with his arms out either side, slipping on every single step, and it just goes on a bit, doesn't it? He needs some new shoes. He's good at jumping off things, though. He jumps down one floor and then just smashes a window anyway. So why didn't you just kick the front door in? It's odd. No concern about leaving evidence. So he lets Holly in. Holly's obviously not happy. You could have got yourself killed. I'm going to be shot at six o'clock tonight, remember? If I'd have fallen, couldn't have happened, could it? Not necessarily. But very probably. So what's in here? Doesn't mean he's not shot with a broken neck, though. <laughs> These flats look strange. I don't know if you noticed, like, each floor is set back from the other floors. So they look like almost... Aztec buildings. Yes. I would be intrigued to know exactly where this bit was filmed, because, yeah, they're odd. They're odd shaped. We'll find out. Yeah, and as you say, it's a nice... Nice flat for a man like this, isn't it? A few tins lying around, Well, as you say. (laughs) Jeff goes into the kitchen, just looking for clues, picks up a big knife, puts his fingerprints all over it, doesn't care. He's looking for anything that ties Crowley to Jabara, basically. So good luck with that. But then we see an empty can of Castlemaine 4X. Remember that? There's loads of quite neatly stuck-on photos all over the wall. I couldn't really see what any of them were, but they look like holiday snaps or something. Magaluf 94. Yay, me and the lads. That's weird, isn't it? Because I, I thought this, I thought, well, it's very well decorated for a man like Crowley. But the strangest thing that I saw... There's quite a nice kind of um, retro-style swivel chair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's got a cushion on it. I think it's a cushion in the shape of a 21. <laughs> I can't explain it. Like a blue 2 and a purple 1 or something. like. That. What is it? That's weird. I don't know. Maybe That's he got weird. it for his 21st birthday. I, I don't know. But yep. So <laughs> we're piecing it together here now. Like Holly has a bit of a thought. What was your first connection with Crowley? When was the first time you heard his name? It was me. I told you. I'm trespassing on the past. I should never have come. Well, then let's split up. No. Why not? Because I'm worried about you. Okay? Is that what you want to hear? Ah, 
Yeah, exactly. She has caused a lot of issues here that may not have happened if she hadn't stuck a big beak in. I don't know what she was thinking. They find uh, a nice book which has a lot of notes in it. Mentions Sutherland's mm. on a list. Where have we heard of that before? Uh, for detectives, you'd think they would know jewellers in the area, but... So there's like maybe five or six names. One of them is Sutherland's, circled. But then the page next to it is the same list written out differently with Sutherland circled again. I don't know why they've got two pages the same. What is the design department doing? <laughs> At this point, John walks in. We're first name terms now, are we? Here comes John. John Crowley, sorry. Crowley comes home. Jeff pushes Holly into the kitchen. Quick, sh- 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 So yeah, Crowley just walks in, and even though they've only just hid, Jeff just comes straight out again. John Crowley? Who are you? What are you? Welcome to the place. You under arrest, Crowley? What for? What for? For the murder of Ken Jabara. Crowley, he looks like he's smelling... He can smell something. Maybe Holly smells of lavender. I don't know. Jeff reveals himself. Crowley doesn't seem to be bothered. (laughs) It's only when Jeff says he's from the police that Crowley swings a punch. Yes, he panics. A quite theatrical kind of punch that goes nowhere near Jeff. There's a slight tussle and Jeff gets him and arrests him. But what for? (laughs) For murder that he hasn't done yet. (laughs) Could have made anything up. We cut to Morris and Nikki speaking to Louise Jabara. Yeah. They seem to have forgotten this whole nice guy, nasty guy shtick. Yeah, they're doing a bit of interrogation, but not really. Mm. They find this painting and a shirt which is covered in blood. This shirt? What's this on the sleeve? This isn't paint. It's blood. But it looks like it. Yeah, it looks like dried acrylic. <laughs> exactly, that's the first thing I thought. Oh, that's paint. They're going to say that's blood, but it'll turn out to be paint. It's the exact other way around. Stupid. But yeah, I mean, that puts her definitely in the firing line. Yeah. So, they arrest her. But in the meantime, Jeff has taken Crowley back to the yeah. station um, and is interviewing the laughing man. Yeah. It's terrifying. The look on his face is like he sort of knows like it's all part of a master plan. You know, that kind of thing. Like he can see 10 steps ahead. I don't know why. Do you know who he reminds me of in this? Yeah. The head from Art Attack. Yes. Long face, long neck, grey. The only thing he reacts to really is, have we met before? And Crowley just laughs. But (laughs) they haven't met before. (laughs) Crowley's laughing because he knows they've not got anything on him. Oh, right. Fair enough. And Jeff's obviously mental. There we are, Frank. That's the charge sheet. I'll talk to him again in the morning. Okay, Slip. Did he say anything? He didn't need to. I can keep him here for 24 hours. It's 2.40 now, so he's not going to be shooting anyone at 6 o'clock. I don't know. Do you think he had a twin brother? I think his dad wants to shoot him. No, it was him. Well, then we've got nothing to worry about, have we? What time are you going to be back at the machine? I travelled at quarter past seven. Right, plenty of time to celebrate. You've done it. Changed the past. I'm safe. I mean, Jeff knows that's not how it works. <laughs> He must. Yeah. Meanwhile, in interview room two. I still had the keys to the front door, so I let myself in. I I don't know what I was going to do, argue with him, shout at him. But when I got in, he was already dead. So what did you do then? I went over to him. That must have been when I got blood on my shirt. You didn't call the police? I was going to. But then I saw the painting and I thought, 
Why not? I wasn't in the will. I knew I wasn't going to get anything from him. And so... <laughs> so she's incriminated herself. So she's banged her rights, really, from this interview. Yeah. And then obviously you've got the Gov agreeing with Morris um, and <laughs> believes that, yes, yeah, she definitely did do it. Sue Johnson comes out doing this weird, like, not quite bumping her fists together. She's like a yeah. chimp, sort of like just banging the back of her hands together with her thumbs out. <laughs> I'm thinking. Ooh, I'm tallying it all up. <laughs> but yeah, so they go to Charger, bang to rights. Yep. But Frank goes, what are you on about? Jeff's just been here. Slade's come. Why's charged somebody else completely different? Assault, illegal entry. Has he gone out of his mind? I want this man released immediately. And find Slade. So Grisham screws up the charge sheet and demands his release. So they do. And not only that, they stick him in a nice taxi that they've paid for as well. And he's still laughing. Uh, Yeah, Morris sends him on his way and he's a free man. (laughs) So now we cut to an auction room where one of Jabara's paintings is being auctioned, presumably due to be auctioned anyway. But, I mean, the body is still warm. He's only just died and everyone's there. Is that not how art works, though? I mean, yeah, yeah, the whole thing's cynical, isn't it? But, I mean, it's just immediately going up on sale. Yeah, wow. They spot Levinson at the auction in the front. Yep. And then the painting goes for £450,000. Ten times the reserve price for a start. So that thing about what Levinson said about the prices going up, that is true. Yep. I would investigate whoever's selling that. <laughs> yeah, they've jumped on that quick, haven't they? Yeah, exactly. Bit of a coincidence. So it just happens to be on sale that day. £400,000. It's quite a price rise. I'm afraid it's inevitable, do you Mr. Jabara wasn't the most prolific of painters, and with his unexpected death. Are you a collector? No. No, I came with someone who is, though, Brett Levinson. Yes. Mr. Levinson used to do a lot of business with us. Used to? Well, it's fairly common knowledge. Mr. Levinson made some unwise investments. I understood he was no longer dealing. We then cut to Crowley going to rob Sutherland's. The shot starts with Crowley outside Levinson's, actually. Ah. We think he's going to Levinson's, then he turns and he goes into Sutherland's. Yes, to rob the poor man in there. I know. What a nice little old man. I think he is Sutherland. I think it says it on the credits. And Crowley just pulls a gun and then delivers a line in quite the most extraordinary way. No alarms. Don't even move. Oh, one. Diamonds. Yeah. The diamonds. I bet John Crowley stinks. Yes, I think he does as well. Stinks of cigarettes and... And 4X. <laughs> 4X, yes. <laughs> so then we see Slade and Holly, quite content and happy. They're all pleased with themselves. Crowley's locked up. You know, nothing can go wrong. No. But then who do they see coming out of the jewellers with a pocket full of diamonds? But John Crowley and Jeff spots him and Holly spots him. Jeff just shouts his name without thinking. Yeah, and Crowley goes, you, and then just runs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then they have like a street shootout. Yeah. They've both got guns. Neither of them should have a gun, naughty. But the effects guys must have had a right nice time doing this. Crowley just shoots at basically anything in the vicinity that's glass that can explode. Give it a nice big effect. 
a little glass billboard. There's the glass phone booth. There's the glass of a car window. And then in the confusion, he ducks into Levinson's. Yeah, and has a family with some children. Yeah. Crowley doesn't strike me as a sort that would have hostages. I think he's got himself in a bit of a situation, to be honest. Yeah, he didn't expect any of this. Levinson hasn't discovered how to act in this scene. (laughs) None of them can really act very well in this scene. No. I'll cut the kids a bit of slack because these two little kids go by the surname Horowitz. Oh, are they? Which leads me to believe that they are Anthony Horowitz's children. I can't imagine they're not. Yeah. Good for them. They're probably the best actors in the entire scene. Yeah. Well, we'll get to them in a sec. He's got the hostages now. Quiet. Grisham arrives on the scene. This has all happened pretty quickly because there's already armed police there and Nicky's in a stupid hat. I like the fact that his hair's sticking out of it. I hate him. But Nicky's got to tell Grisham the unfortunate news that the man inside with a loaded gun and a family of hostages is the man that she released. I think it upsets her a little bit. Would you mind telling me what's going on? Why did you let Crowley go? Because he'd done nothing wrong. Well, he's done something wrong now. Yes, Slade, but usually we wait for someone to commit a crime before we arrest them. It's normal police procedure. We've got the phone link, Chief. Call him. It's things like this that really date a programme, isn't it? Yes, it is. They've got to, like, create a phone line to a big receiver. We (laughs) We cut inside. (laughs) And now we see the acting talent of the Horowitz children. Mummy. Please, my sons are frightened. You don't need to hold them. Be quiet. I'm a wealthy man. The police aren't going to do anything while I'm here. Let my wife and sons go. Be quiet. Please, don't antagonise him. May I answer it? I rather think it will be the police. Go. I want to go home. So... Some fantastic acting. But Crowley's got to, he's got to think. The police make contact with Crowley. Crowley only wants to talk to Jeff. Mm -hmm. Makes sense? Well, yeah. Well, makes sense to us. Doesn't seem to make sense to Grisham. She can't get her head round it. No. So Grisham tells Slade that he has to go in. Yeah. He'll only speak to him face to face. He wants him in the shop. This is a real rare moment of reflection for Jeff. Mm. As far as he's concerned, he's getting shot and he's dying. Yeah. He does try at first to get her to send Morris or Nicky in instead. <laughs> but no, no, he, yeah. He, yeah, he very quickly... It's very nicely done. It's very brave of him. It is, because he comes to terms with the fact that, well, this is the way it has to be. He's very reassuring to Holly. He's doing his duty as a police officer. Yep. And he realises, before Holly does, which is a turn up for the books, that every event has conspired to lead him here. So it's, um, yeah, him and Holly have quite a nice little moment together. Well, you should be pleased with yourself. At least you proved your point. Can't change the past. First law of time, right? Do you think that matters now? Go back to the machine, Holly. Go back to your own time zone. There's nothing you can do here. I can't just walk out on you. It's all you can do. 
Ready? Yes, Chief. Now, don't try anything clever. Just see if you can talk him out of there. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Good. Yeah, he's going to try something clever. <laughs> so, yes, then he goes up to the shop, asks Nicky what the time is. It's quarter to six. Yeah. Of course it is. Of course it is. It's a lovely scene. Hands Nicky his gun and goes in. Bargains for the family to go. So Crowley very magnanimously lets the family go. But not Levinson. You stay Yes. Levinson's shitting himself because he thought he was <laughs> he thought he was out of there and he's not. There's a lovely bit in here. Again, it's Jeff breaking the tension because Crowley sees like the armed gunman outside mm. um and asks what are they doing here? And Jeff just says, window shopping. <laughs> Love it. But Crowley's not having any of it. Crowley's spooked a bit by these armed police and demands that Levinson open this very suspicious door. I mean, it's made even more suspicious by the fact that Levinson refuses to open it. There's nothing in there. One of them kind of things. It doesn't, there's no point even, even opening it. But he has to because Crowley's got a gun. And what's in there but three of the shittest paintings <laughs> in the world? Well, three red circles. Yeah, exactly. Which is the circle paintings that Levinson has sold to the Saudi Arabians. Mm. See, we recognise these paintings. It takes Jeff a while to recognise what they are. So now what they're going to do? Crowley doesn't know. He's thinking. He's thinking with his teeth, though, weirdly. Mm. <laughs> That's how he thinks. <sighs> So Holly's gone. Jeff said before, Holly, go back to your time machine. Just forget about it. Oh, and I know what you're going to say here. It's weird, isn't it, this scene? Yeah, I think it's quite a nice scene, but Mm. filmed a bit odd. In that Holly's walking away and she hears the chimes of 6pm and stops dead in her tracks. That's nice. The music's nice. These very low, doleful bells. The clanging chimes of doom that Bono talked about all those years ago. It's a bit dark place. It's a bit really poorly done. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Fine. <laughs> yeah. I found it really poor. Like a music video or something. So, Grisham told Jeff not to try anything clever before. Cut to Jeff. <laughs> I thought you said there was no way out of here. There isn't. Out that window. <laughs> Crowley turns around to check the window. There's no window. Bam. Punch. Yes. Grabs the gun. There's a tussle. (sighs) Then we cut back to Holly as these bells are still going on. Holly sort of turning on the spot, but different takes of it all put together. Yeah. Intercut with the fight. Yep. But also just two random shots of Jeff (laughs) from happier times. Of a time before he was dead. Staring directly into camera. There's a gunshot that goes off as he's wrestling Crowley. Yeah, they hear a gunshot. Nikki reports it. There's been a gunshot. Repeat, a single gunshot. Who is it? Robson. Is it Slade? How does he know? <laughs> he just heard a gunshot. He's not got x-ray vision. Bloody hell. Yeah, but it turns out it's not Slade. It's... Crowley. Mm. He's still smiling, even as he's dying of a gunshot wound. Yeah. Still got his little grin on his face. And then Jeff says, Holly got it wrong. And then gets hit on the back of the head by Levinson. Twice in as many episodes. <laughs> um, and then at point blank range, Levinson shoots Jeff. I'm sorry, Mr. Slade. Can you borrow the pictures? That's right, Mr. Slade. Red circles. Red circles. 
So we cut to Morris and Nikki. I think they're all going, running in to the building at this point. Mm-hmm. And Levinson is standing, shaking. Levinson's pretending to be very passive. Yes. Oh, with his hands over his face. Yes. He's insinuating that he's had to shoot Crowley in an act mm-hmm. of self-defence. So at this point, we see what we saw on news before of Jeff being wheeled out followed by Crowley and this time we see the blanket being put over Crowley's face so Crowley is unfortunately dead age 35 yes he'll always remember his 21st birthday though (laughs) that's what I would have liked to have seen when Holly was turning around in the road yeah some flashback shots of Crowley from better times of his life lovely man rest in peace John Crowley so Levinson's taken in to kind of be questioned. It's very informal. What exactly happened, Mr Levinson? The police officer. Slade managed to grab hold of Crowley. There's a fight. There's nothing I could do. The gun went off. So Crowley shot Slade? Yes. Then Crowley dropped the gun and I snatched it. I didn't know what I was doing. I aimed the gun at Crowley and I fired it. He still killed somebody. <laughs> Crowley hasn't killed Jeff so far. No. And Levinson has killed Crowley, but that's sort of fine. And off you go. See you later. Bye now. Bye. He's let go. Holly goes back to Sundown Court, her Mm -hmm. flat. Yeah. She sees Danny. Danny part one. Yes. So we're referencing what Danny mentioned earlier in the episode. She's fucking miserable here. Holly, how'd it go? What? Was that big talk of yours you said you were giving today? Oh, yes. What was it all about? I was outlining a theory, a scientific theory. All my work, everything I believe in is based on it. So, how'd it go? I was proved right. Yeah. Danny doesn't know what you're talking about. You're making chit-chat. And I know she's upset and everything, but that's not, it's not Danny's fault. Yeah, so she storms off, upset. She goes back to the machine. Well, yeah, she mopes there. <laughs> Time resets. She comes back out into the corridor to confront Danny again, just running off again. Danny's fixing his vacuum cleaner that came to life earlier. So, yeah, we're now into the final act of the episode. Well, I mean, it's the final four minutes or something, this. Loads is happening in this last bit. Oh, definitely. And Levinson wants Slade dead. He's phoned up the hospital, says he's his brother. Yeah. So he finds out where Jeff is staying, how he is, he's not dead. He walks into the hospital and gets a white doctor's coat as a disguise. I work in a hospital, and I've done for five years, and I have absolutely no idea where to get a white coat from. They're certainly not in the entrance, (laughs) all just hung up. (laughs) I've got to say, he does look like a doctor. This is his best bit of acting the entire episode. Yeah. Holly comes back to the hospital and back to the reception. Excuse me, where can I find Slade? I'm sorry, didn't you just leave? What? You asked about Mr Slade, then you ran out. Well, I've come back. Finding people in a hospital and what room they're in it's part of the challenge of going to a hospital. Yeah. <laughs> Holly runs and finds Jeff quite easily. Levinson is already there. Yeah, he's been cutting through Jeff's drips with a scalpel. And turns his attention to Holly. Yeah, it looks good this bit, actually. Quite violent mm. swiping in front of her face. Very Pirates of the Caribbean, isn't it? Yeah, and then all of a sudden... 
Jeff's awake and behind grabbing Levinson. Mm -hmm. Miraculous recovery he's made, to be honest. This is a weak point for me in the episode. Yeah. Because the implication here is that it was all just a big prank. If he'd been in his hospital bed and he'd been a bit groggy and he'd managed to hit him with a bedpan or whacked the drip round his head or something like that, then fair enough. But just to be absolutely fine... He immediately starts ripping off all his sticky tape and that. Nothing wrong with him. I don't understand why are the hospital in on this. They must be. It's just an odd ending. It's wrapped up really fast. Mm. So Levinson killed Jabara because of the paintings? Mm. He was going out of business. All he had was the three red circles. He paid 90000 for them, and with Jabara dead... They'd be worth almost a million. He came in the back way, into Jabara's studio. He shot him. And then a few moments later, Louise Jabara came in through the front door. And the rest we know. Do we? Think about it, Morris. Transpires Crowley's notebook that Jeff had in his pocket. And this is a thing that happens in TV a lot. Yeah. Was where the bullet hit and it saved Jeff's life. Bit of a crap ending. Maybe that can happen. I mean, you would have thought he would have maybe broken a rib or something. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, this happens all the time, doesn't it? Um... You pretended to be hurt so that Levinson would be forced to come back and finish you off. Then why weren't you killed? That's a good question. Levinson must have fired at point-blank range. He did. But I had this in my pocket. It's Crowley's notebook. A couple of inches of leather and paper. It's funny. I had a feeling he was going to try and kill me. In the end, he saved my life. It's all very well and good, Slade. But why did you arrest Crowley in the first place? Holly and Slade do that thing that they did in episode one where they both sort of look at each other and they both give each other a very sly look that no one picks up on and no one cares no nope. oh it's just intuition no but how no Jeff answer the question how <laughs> why did you arrest Crowley yeah so Holly's in her little office and Jeff comes in to thank Holly for well I don't know you saved my life you and the machine, if you hadn't travelled back... No, I didn't save your life. I nearly got you killed. No, that's not true. Because I wouldn't have had that book in my pocket if it wasn't for you. You don't understand. If it wasn't for me, you wouldn't have got shot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. He knew all along. Because the first thing he says is, yeah, so yeah, if I've any to use that time machine, I'll give you a call, yeah? yeah? And he's off. Yeah. And end credits on Holly's face. Going slayed. <sighs> I like the episode. Yeah. A lot happens, as usual, with these episodes. But it just absolutely flew by. I was going over my notes, and then before I knew it, it was the end of the episode. Ends quickly, though, doesn't it? Too much happens in that last five minutes, I think. Yeah, but it's grown on me, that episode. Other than Levinson's acting, I think it advances Jeff's personality a lot. Yeah. I think that this episode was shown out of sequence. Oh, yes, we discussed that last episode. It's a shame they switched it round, because there's a lot that goes on in this episode that Mm -hmm. I would think would have an emotional impact on a person. 
Yes. Which would carry over into the following episode, you would think. Ah, yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, after viewing it a couple of times, you kind of start to realise, well, actually, the mindset of the characters would have changed after this particular episode. Yeah, I'd be interested to see them the other way around, because I think Jeff and Holly have got closer in this episode. Yes. There's some feelings, not romantic necessarily, but there's some there's feelings between them, there's a bond between them, which may explain why Holly was so annoyed when Sonia Duval came into the picture. Yes. There's a strong friendship or maybe something more. Well, we will find out maybe next week or the week after or the week after or the week after. We're halfway through the series now. We are halfway. The midway point. Next week, it's Sins of the Father. Oh. Um, Whose father? Interesting. Frederick Turner or Jeff? Maybe we get to find out a bit more about Jeff or both. Father Ted? Um, Join us next time. (laughs) For another trip down memory lane. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Oh, by the way, yeah, email us, um, antannickpressplay at gmail.com. Uh, like us on Facebook, like us on all your podcast yeah. services, iTunes, wherever. Yeah, look forward to speaking soon. I guess so. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye, everyone.